Hello, thanks for joining us here for the Wiley on Employment podcast, which today will be focused on talking about California's controversial AB5 and some practical considerations for employers related to that new law. My name is Marta Vasquez and I am an associate here in Wiley's employment group. I have a background in a variety of employment issues from counseling to investigations to all the way to litigation. For those who don't know already, AB5 is a law that went into effect in California on January 1st, 2020. And essentially it has changed how California workers are classified either as independent contractors or employees. Among other things, the law was intended to really capture those gig workers as employees and thus entitle them to certain protections and benefits. Unsurprisingly, the law has been very controversial and it has really complicated and already very complicated area of law. Now, today we're going to talk about not just practical considerations with AB5, but really the history of it and also where we think it's going to be going next. And on that note, I am very excited to be joined today by a member of our litigation group, Crystal Swensbo, who is the perfect person to join me in talking about AB5 because of her unique involvement with the law to date, which I would love for her to tell us about and also a little bit about her background. Thanks, Marta, and thanks everybody for joining us. My name is Crystal Swensbo. I'm a litigation and appellate attorney here at Wiley. I'm also a member of our Rocket Docket practice in the EDBA. My practice covers a wide variety of cases, everything from complex commercial litigation, employment matters, election law and compliance, and even APA litigation. And I became involved with AB5 by writing an amicus brief in the Ninth Circuit in support of some of the groups that are challenging AB5 in the Ninth Circuit. Okay, so that's a really good segue, which is, as you mentioned, there's been a challenge in the Ninth Circuit. So as I mentioned, it's been a very controversial law. So generally, what has the reaction been to AB5 so far? Sure, it's a very polarizing bill. I think you said this, there are strong feelings held by both the proponents and the opponents. Um, the bill's proponents obviously argue that this protects workers by giving them added protections, additional pay. Whereas the bill's opponents argue that it removes job flexibility, forces employers to cut jobs because they can't afford to pay new employees, and it removes job options from the labor pool, which are quite helpful in, in the time of a global pandemic. Um, the bill was originally targeted at Uber and Lyft to force these businesses and those like them to provide benefits and higher pay to their drivers but it has widespread consequences across all industries. Journalists, nurses, uh, small business owners, car newspaper cartoonists, dog walkers fall within its, I would say, overly broad reach. Fox, a news media company that lobbied for AB5's passage last year, had to cut approximately 200 freelance positions because it simply couldn't afford to keep those freelancers on as employees after AB5 was passed. Great, that's really helpful. So. Given that kind of reaction, what has happened in the state in terms of challenging the law, challenging the bill, and how are what's the status of those challenges? Sure. I think it's probably best to talk about it in three different ways that the law has been challenged. One of the challenges has come from industry groups that have you know, gone to the legislature directly and said, look, your exemptions, your law is overly broad. We need more exemptions. 
So the result of that particular challenge has been a passage of a new bill and AB 2257 was signed by the governor in September. This expands the original, I think, 15 exemptions to close to 50. So there are additional folks who are exempted from AB 5's reach, but not certainly doesn't handle all of the individuals who have been affected. The second area of attack really has been in a ballot initiative. So proposed law 22 is on the ballot in California in November. This was kind of fomented by Uber and Lyft. And what it seeks to do is modify the law created by AB5 to exempt app-based drivers from its requirements. So app-based drivers like DoorDash or Uber and Lyft would be exempted. But again, it's a very narrow targeted law and really came about because you had folks in the position to get this on the ballot. The third area of attack has been through the legal system. And that's where Wiley has been involved kind of as an amicus or a friend of the court. In those cases, there have been multiple legal suits brought by various industries challenging AB5's application to their you know, two specific people. So the first challenge was brought by the trucking industry. It challenged AB5 as basically being exempted by federal law, and then it uh, also violated interstate commerce rules. The next set of challengers was Uber and Lyft. Again, they brought a number of constitutional challenges, and they actually will have oral argument in the Ninth Circuit uh, next month. And then the third group is actually a First Amendment challenge brought by a number of journalists and video or photojournalists who object to an, the exemptions that were created for them because they are too limited and arbitrary in the way they're applied. Like I said, three different ways that folks are attacking AB5, but the, and those are the you know, most popular examples of that. Yeah, I think we've seen a lot of these challenges. I think they're making a lot of headlines. I think a lot of people have heard and seen them, you know, Uber's going to pull out of California, Lyft's going to pull out of California, and then at the last minute, a stay is granted and they don't pull out of California. So, you know, as far as these things are going, it sounds like everything is still sort of up in the air, everything's still pending. Um, what would you say is really the next thing if you're just, you know, not Uber or Lyft, you're just a regular employer, what would you say the next thing to sort of keep an eye on is in the state? There's a couple different things you should keep your eye out for. One, obviously, seeing how the ballot initiative shakes out, that may indicate to legislators that the desire for exemptions is broader than they expected. So they may, following that ballot initiative, decide to create more exemptions, which may help certain industries. But as I mentioned, a lot of these new exemptions seem to be the result of a lot of political horse trading. So, for example, the music industry was one particular new exemption that came along because of significant lobbying from the music industry. So there could be additional exemptions that come along as a result of a groundswell, if you will, from California. There's also the possibility that California will kick up their enforcement actions. They've been a little bit slow in getting enforcement off the ground, largely because of these legal challenges, as well as the development of new exemptions. But California set aside $20 million for enforcement of AB5 and the follow-on bills. So we could see an uptick in the government becoming more ambitious and aggressive and going after folks who they believe misclassify their employees. There also may be some additional 
guidance from the Department of Labor in California or even the Federal Department of Labor and how to deal with or distinguish between contractors and employees, what benefits need to be provided and what type of protection should be allowed if someone is kept as a contractor versus an employee. Now you mentioned enforcement and I think that's something that people need to be really concerned about, obviously. Um, you know, what are the potential penalties for misclassification? And then also how might this come about? Is it, you know, are you taking a risk that your that your workers are going to file a complaint? Are you taking a risk that the state may independently look into uh, whether you're classifying correctly? Um, how is this actually going to really play out on the enforcement side? And what are those potential liabilities there? Sure. So penalties can range anywhere from a $5,000 to a $25,000 fine per violation. And that language per violation is significant. So depending on how California wants to define that, and it's still being litigated in the courts, that could mean per business or per employee. So if you have 200 employees that are being misclassified, your fine is going to be quite a bit higher if that's the definition they go with. There can be also added costs for attorney fees or court fees if the, an enforcement action is undertaken and then there's any type of opposition. So you're going to not only see the civil fine, but you're probably going to have attorney's fees on top of that. You had asked whether this was the state going after individuals or companies or whether employees could be reporting. Right now, the, the significant portion of the cases have been enforcement actions brought by the state, but a number of employers have either developed systems where employees can report you know, any type of violation. And some employees have banded together to create a reporting system. For example, some of these app-based driver, I guess contractors who would now be employees have created a type of reporting system. Unclear whether California will take these complaints and then turn them into enforcement, but certainly getting a large number of complaints from a particular employer will likely make a difference and may point the state in the direction for an enforcement action. Wow. So you, in your opinion, having, you know, really looked at the background of this bill and really been involved in sort of the litigation side and the background of it, do you think, you know, are we going to be seeing, this is a hot button issue, the DOL has recently um, issued its own controversial guide, a potential, notice of potential rulemaking that it may be changing how workers are classified under the Fair Labor Standards Act. Um, so this is a hot button issue. Given the outcry from what's been happening in California, both on the pro side and on the con side. Do you see other states following suit? Are we seeing any other kind of action by other states? How widespread do we think this kind of very strict law uh, would go? So there's been, I think, limited movement by certain states to follow California. The, I think, first uh, following California was Nevada. They passed a law instituting and funding a study for how this classification of employees is treated. Other states that have at least introduced possible similar litigation, Washington, Oregon, Kentucky, New York, Michigan, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. New Jersey seems to be the most likely to follow suit. They've certainly publicized quite a bit about a bill similar to AB5, but seeing how many people are out of work in California with the advent of AB5 and the COVID pandemic, it's likely that all of these actions will be put on hold 
for a while. They certainly have been put on hold for the last six months, and that seems like it'll continue at least until we have a little bit more flexibility in the labor force, being able to engage in job hunting like we normally would for these types of bills are passed or the states really kind of take up the mantle again. Great, that's good to know. And I also think that's a really good segue into sort of a more practical side, which is, you know, as Crystal mentioned, there's some issues here with, you know, employees being able to have that kind of flexibility, being able to take, be able to go out on their own and seek employment. And that all really dovetails into really what AB5 has actually done. As most, you know, employers in California should already know, but it's good to remind everyone is that what AB5 actually has done is it changed the traditional classification analysis by making all workers employees and therefore entitled to certain benefits and protections, which, you know, can be costly, but also have a huge benefit to employees. Um, unless the employer can prove otherwise, or that worker falls into one of the exemptions that Crystal was just mentioning. In order to prove otherwise, you know, that the worker is not a employee, but is in fact an independent contractor, the employer must be able to pass the rigorous ABC test. So the ABC test is a bit more difficult to pass. It's more narrow than the traditional tests that have been used by the Department of Labor under the Fair Labor Standards Act or the control tests that the IRS has used. Essentially, a worker can be classified as an independent contractor if the employer can prove that that worker is free from control and direction of the employer, that they are performing work outside of the usual course of business of the hiring company, and that they are customarily engaged in independently established trade occupation or business. And just hearing those, it's pretty easy to see how that could become quite complicated in a world where we now have so many, um, not only gig workers, but so many uh, jobs that are connecting the customer to the worker via technology. For example, um, if you have a company that provides proofreading services, you may uh, log on to their website look for someone who can proofread, upload your document, pay that vendor directly, and you never interact with that person who's actually doing the proofreading. Now, does that mean that they are an employee if they, um, you know, only sign in and do it every once in a while, if they just log on and do a document once every six months? You know, it's hard to say, but under the ABC test, that person would likely fail and would have to be classified as employee. So, you know, it can get very complicated. The world has really changed. Those traditional relationships between worker and employer have really changed. Um, so it's really important that not only are employers staying up to date on this, but they are practically taking steps to not only protect themselves, but protect the people that are working for them. So practically, um, given everything that Crystal has said about the history and the fact that this is, you know, really changing and evolving even over the last year and across the country as other states look to California as an example, what is an employer to do? So I recommend four steps. I think the first step that every employer needs to do is take careful stock of every independent contractor that they have in California. Um, remembering that a court or any other enforcement that is going to look at the relationship is not going to look at just what is on paper, but they're going to look at the reality 
of that relationship. Um, this means you may have four contractors in California, three of whom you have absolutely no control over, but you may have that one uh, contractor that you have a bit of a more comprehensive relationship with or a longer relationship. So, you know, just because you're calling them an independent contractor and maybe they have the same agreements as everyone else, you've still got to look at the reality of the relationship for every single person that you've got in California. This is obviously going to be a little bit different depending on how much your business relies on independent contractors, but it's still really important. So that audit would really take a, a wide view, look at your engagement guidelines, contract terms, your incorporation requirements for who you're working with, documentation, work structures, look at level of control, and really make sure that you're hemming in on those staff and independent, and independent contractor interactions, just to be sure of exactly what the reality of that relationship is. So with that information, I would say step number two is to work very closely with counsel. And this is absolutely a scenario where you want to have counsel helping you. As Crystal mentioned, this is changing quickly. It's changing often. The exemption list has changed dramatically since the beginning of the year, since this was originally passed. Um, there is a political component to who is ending up on the exemption list. Um, so it's very important to work with counsel that's can, that's able to get you up-to-date information and really make sure that you can either take advantage of one of those exemptions or maybe even consider a way to carefully plan so that you then fit into an exemption. So there are a number of exemptions that are very narrow and include specific careers or specific lines of work, as Crystal mentioned, for example, doctors, dentists. Uh, hairstylists, um, some creative professionals, but there's also a couple of other exemptions that are more about the relationship. For example, there's the business to business exemption, but you've got to meet 12 specific requirements or referral agencies. But again, you've got to meet 10 specific requirements to, to meet that exemption. So it's possible to meet those, but it's really important to sit down and very carefully analyze all of those different requirements in order to actually fall into an exemption. So that would be your second step. Your third step would be if you don't fit into an exemption, you've got to sit down again with counsel and really determine if you are likely to pass the ABC test or not and what those risks are in relation to those workers. At the end of the day, whether or not the ABC test is satisfied is going to be a question of fact that would be determined by a fact finder, which could be a judge or a jury. So it really is important to determine those risks and the potential of liability there and how likely you are to pass that test. And then I would say the fourth step after you determine your relationships, if you fit an exemption, if you fit the ABC test, is to work closely with counsel to adjust to get in compliance. It's possible to reorganize a business so that you fit an exemption. It may not, but that does require a very deliberately planned strategy. If you it's possible to meet the ABC test, but if not, again, you've got to uh, find a way to get into compliance with either the ABC test, or you have to make a decision to treat those, well, it's not really a decision at this point, you have to treat those workers as employees. So that's something that you have to be prepared to do, or you have to make a decision to change the relationship so that they do meet the ABC requirements, or consider just parting ways with them entirely. So. Looking to the future, I know Crystal and I both have our opinions about what the future is going to look like in California. 
I personally don't feel that this ballot initiative that's coming up in November is going to help a great deal of people. Um, I personally find it a little bit ironic that this AB5 was really targeted at Uber and Lyft and now due largely to political and honestly just money abilities, you know, funding. Um, Uber and Lyft may have a carve out and may now be exempt from this bill. So looking at all those things, Crystal, do you have any thoughts about, you know, how this is going to affect uh, employment and how this is really going to affect people in California looking forward or how this is going to affect the labor market in general? Sure. Actually, I think AB5 has already had a drastic effect on the labor market in California. We saw even in the first two months of the pandemic that over 2 million jobs had been lost in California. Because AB5, you know, coordinated with the inability of folks to leave their homes, the jobs disappeared. So you already have an increase in unemployment, a lowering of the number of jobs available. And while I think some of these exemptions may assist certain industries, I think the number of jobs available will continue in California will continue to drop. And frankly, a lot of businesses who don't have the, like you said, political or money abilities simply won't do business in California. I know we've seen a number of businesses, including Uber and Lyft, who have threatened to leave California if AB5 is applied to them. It just doesn't make financial sense to stay. And so you'll see, again, kind of a loss of jobs, more folks out of work, along with the continuing ill effects of the COVID pandemic, I think actually ends up harming a number of folks in California far more than the proponents of the bill would have anticipated. And I think that will actually probably put a damper on how this law is affected or adopted by other states. California is an incredibly large economy all on its own. And to see these kind of ill effects in large, in large parts um, in a relatively short amount of time is pretty dramatic. I, I agree with all of that. Um, I know personally, I've been working with a number of of people who work, who have employees in, in California. And for the most part, they're small businesses. And I think that's what breaks my heart the most is that small businesses, they're not trying to get out of tax compliance. They're not trying to get around with providing benefits to their workers. They really are do you know, they have one or two contractors out in California, or it's a, it's, a key part of their business structure that they have in, they have workers that are able to come and go. And these small businesses that don't have the political pool, they don't have the ability to do a complete reorganization, they're faced with a tough decision to, you know, pull out of California completely, which like you said, is a huge market, um, or, you know, really risk a compliance issue. And um, I think the other thing that's been really difficult is that a lot of our, a lot of the people that I've worked with have close relationships with their contractors in California, and those contractors don't necessarily want to be um, labeled as employees because, you know, the business to business exemption is so hard to meet, but they don't necessarily fall in under the ABC test because they are providing the same services that the company does. So they're left in a tough position where it turns into this like trust game. You know, they, they're contractors that want to be able to go out and do other business and sell the, the sell their business and sell their services to other companies. And I think it I think it is a shame, um, you know, high level. The struggle with employment law is 
finding that balance between protecting employees and allowing employers to be able to carry out business. And we have struggled with that for a long time, obviously, because employment laws keep changing and evolving. To make things more complicated, the Department of Labor has issued a proposed rule that's going to basically do the opposite of what California has done, which is going to make it much easier to label people as independent contractors. But there is this balance between employee protections and employer protections. And it seems that California has gone just too far one way. Um, and like you said, that has just coincided with the uh, pandemic. And it's just it's, it's a shame for everyone. I guess my final thought and my final question for you, Crystal, is do you think there would ever be a point where California would actually just pull back AB5? We've now seen from January 1st when it went into effect to now, it has been carved up so many times it looks like Swiss cheese. Do you think there's ever a point where California would just throw up its hands and say, you know what, we need to do something, we need to do something else? You know, I'd like to think that uh, cooler heads would prevail, but the proponent of AB5, um, Congresswoman, or I guess it's Assemblywoman Gonzalez, she has been very bold in that this is exactly what California needs and we're going to hit Uber and Lyft. These are the real problem causers in California. So I think to the extent she is driving the ship, probably not uh, really much of a chance for the state of California to draw back. I think probably the best opportunity to limit AB5 and to perhaps cut it back into a more manageable or helpful piece of legislation is going to likely come from the courts. Um, just because there you have some pretty decent constitutional arguments that AB5 and its exemptions are arbitrary, that they affect citizens and businesses differently depending on what the industry is. And at that point, I think the imprimatur from the court to say, look, this is not okay, you need to fix it. Without that type of, I guess, pushback from a co-equal branch, I don't think California will necessarily take the hint that so many voters have, have put in front of them. But who knows? By all means, California is obviously um, in a position where it can, where it, it can make some real changes to benefit workers while still protecting their businesses. And we hope that they will be you know, take the hint and do so. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Crystal. This has been really interesting. Um, again, if anybody needs help with AB5, wants to continue this conversation, Crystal and I are both very interested and passionate about this issue out of, you know, not just having worked on it, but having talked to so many of our clients and so many people that we've become quite invested. So if anyone is interested, our information will be on the website and um, you feel free to reach out to us at any time. And again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for listening in and take care.